Welcome to the Truth of the Matters podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan, and this is episode 143. Let's begin by recognizing and appreciating all of our new and consistent listeners. We thank you all in advance for continuing to press play. I pray that this podcast, regardless of the episode, is a blessing to you. So, hey, everyone, I hope everyone is doing well. Obviously, my voice is not as good as it normally is, and that's due to the fact that I had a face cold, and that face cold has brought mucus and congestion in my sinuses, and that's why my voice is off. However, I am making an effort today to make sure that this episode comes out interesting thing about this episode is this is not the one that I prepared to provide you Monday. One of the reasons why I didn't post the episode Monday is because I barely could say anything. That's how bad it was for me. Interesting enough, I don't have a runny nose. I don't have a terrible cough. My voice is just extremely raspy and I didn't want to subject you to that. Now that I am a little bit better, I thought it would be apropos to put something out that can be a blessing for you this week. Next week, I will have time to rest it due to the fact that the way the cycle goes with this podcast is we do three episodes where we dive into the scriptures, one episode where we have a special guest, and then another episode when I have a Bible study reflections, and that's usually based off the conversations that I have with those who I fellowship, Eric being the main person that I fellowship with, that is what the Bible study reflection is usually in conjunction with, okay? That's where the inspiration lies. The message that I have for today is actually something that was inspired based upon something that I added to my faith walk, and that is I am fellowshipping with two of my friends again separately and we are reading one chapter a day and the books we are reading we are providing three verses that catch our attention and that is a way to hold one another accountable while finding the fact that rereading a passage again is an amazing thing now normally I would tell you one or two ways the Lord has blessed me and this is one of those ways the fact that I am revisiting Luke after doing a Luke series has allowed me to find new revelation that God has revealed to me and I think this is an amazing thing because it tells you how deep the word of God is that even if you read it and you unpack it and you point out what you believe is essential and important God's way of fellowshipping with us is revealing things to us that we might have missed or we might have overlooked and didn't consider. And that is one of the ways that the Lord has blessed me. I've read Luke, the Gospel of Luke, up to chapter 8. Still have to do chapter 9 today. And there have been fresh revelation that I found. What's also important is that because we are reading the Gospel of Matthew and we are doing a gospel of Matthew series I'm finding a lot of comparisons and differences 
and in both Gospels, and that's predominantly what I'll be talking about today. This is something fairly new that I've noticed. This is something I find fascinating and important, and therefore, rather than keep it to myself, I want to share it to the body of those who also place their faith in Jesus Christ and love the Word of God and want to grow in it. So if you don't mind, I know my voice is not the greatest at the moment, but I still think from my heart I have something amazing to share, and I don't want to keep it to myself, but I want to proclaim it. Therefore, other people can be educated and curious and ask questions. And I think that's the whole purpose of the Word of God. We're not going to agree on everything in the Word of God, but what we can't ignore and what we can't dismiss is that the Word of God is powerful and there's a lot to learn. No matter how far you've been or how long you've been walking with God or how much you've read, there's something that God can provide. It just takes time. And in other points and times, He doesn't reveal those things. Because we're growing and maturing as people in the faith. So that is what this episode is. This episode is very raw. This is something that I've pieced together within an hour span. Normally when I'm providing episodes, it takes me anywhere between 6 to 12 hours to produce something amazing. After doing my homework and making sure everything that I said can be looked up and can be followed. So, thank you for listening. I hope my voice is tolerable for the next 45 minutes to an hour. Don't know how long this is going to take, but that's my estimate. Okay? So, I mentioned one way the Lord has blessed me is that he's given me opportunity to revisit the Gospel of Luke. The second way that he's blessed me is that he allows me to see the powerful experience of fellowshipping with other believers. And also fellowshipping with the intent to learn much more about a book that you've read, and even though you moved on to something different, revisiting the book allows you to see how there's so much more. So if I finish all 66 books of the Bible, there's no way in my mind that I should believe that I've gotten every piece of wisdom and information from each book, but rather I should be excited to reread those books because I know God has more stored up revelation, and we know that from Corinthians when he clearly said that he has reserved the secrets to those who love him and to those who believe in him. Paraphrasing here. He has reserved the truth to those who love him and to those who believe in him and place their faith in him. And I believe wholeheartedly that is what God has done. And we continue to grow in relationship with him as long as we do not let the word depart from us, but that it remains with us. And on that we're going to jump right in. Now, the title of this podcast is going to be Startling Discoveries Part 5 because these are still, in my opinion, startling discoveries. The only difference is, is that I'm going to also include in the title Matthew and Luke. Is because in order to understand what I'm going to share with you today is you have to see the comparison in the way it is shared in Luke and in Matthew and then you can see the power of how both Gospels can help fill in some blanks but also at the same time you might have some questions and questions are good because questions allow us to reflect and through it there's a belief that God will reveal more truth in due time doesn't always happen right away but as long as we're walking in relationship with God sooner or later we will learn what we need to know on a need to know basis 
With that being said, of course, we're going to pray to begin and we're going to pray to end. I'm not going to do a devotional time in the end today. I'm just going to pray. So Heavenly Father, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I just want to thank you so much for giving me the courage and the motivation to share what I have learned in my time with you. The devotional commitment that I've had with you has opened up my eyes and has burned a fire in me that you lit to want me to share what I have been reading and talking with you in the past two hours. Lord, I pray that what I have to share is inspirational and it motivates people to pick up their Bible and to read it. I bless everyone that's listening, their friends, their family. I pray for their protection and their guidance and direction. Lord, I ask that as we read your word today, open up our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to understand. <coughs> Lord, even though my voice may not be in peak condition, I thank you for the opportunity to speak and at least be able to say things. It's been much more better than where it was. Lord, I will not allow my voice not be in its greatest condition to not proclaim the truth that you have provided me. And with that being said, Lord, I ask that as I go through what I believe you have shown me in the last two hours, it will be a blessing to someone who is listening. I bind any negativity, I bind anything that has prevented me from getting this message out because I thank you, I love you, and I appreciate what you're doing for me and what you're doing for each and everyone out there that has placed their faith in you. Things may get tough, things may be, things may be overwhelmed, but I am true in my confidence in you and what you have for me, I believe I will receive. With that being said, Lord, we say these things in total confidence in who you are, knowing that you're Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, creator of all things, and anything that we ask according to your will, you would do. Give me the confidence, give me the passion, the fervor I need to get this message out today. I trust in you, no one else, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about is the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verse 23, and we're going to look at this in the Amplified Version. So he said to them, you will no doubt quote this verse to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever miracles that you have heard were done by you in Capernaum, do you hear in your hometown as well? So the Latin phrase here is Copera te apisium, Coptura te apisium, which means physician, heal thyself. And this phrase is often attributed to Hippocratus, a Greek physician, the man who was considered to be the father of medicine. This is a proverb used in a literary text from at least six centuries ago, B.C. My thought is, why is Jesus quoting a physician? What is the point that he's getting across? What we do know thus far is that Jesus is healing people. He's healing the sick. And the Pharisees and Sadducees don't appreciate him doing this and are questioning from what power he's doing this from. When we look at this text as well, something interesting is that Jesus came into his hometown, Nazareth. 
And most of what he was doing was in Capirium. And if there's anything you know, is that Jesus, in the next verse, verse 24, says that people are not welcomed or not respected in their hometowns. Right? So if you're putting two and two together, what Jesus did somewhere else, more or less he's not going to be honored in his own hometown. In fact, biblical history points that out, that most people that were led by God while killed by their own people in their own hometown. They were not honored nor respected. So Jesus is just proclaiming something throughout biblical history that is something that should be known that is familiar, that there's no appreciation and love for prophets in their own hometown. So what does Jesus do? He is prophesizing about something. Now, his intent of this prophecy is that they want to mock him. Now, later on in the stage of his crucifixion, he's proven correct. They utilize the same proverb against him. So let's check it out. Let's go to the Gospel of Luke chapter 23, verse 34 through 37. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. So in my opinion, that's fascinating. Jesus prophesied early when he was doing these things, and now in his lowest condition, they basically did exactly what he said they would do. And of course, they're doing this because physically he is demolished. Not mentally, but physically he's demolished. He wouldn't be mentally demolished because his love and care for people is still present, which is why it's stated in verse 34, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This means they were utilized to then crucify a free man. And that was for our benefit actually in the end it was part of god's plan to redeem humanity by taking on the sins of the world so that we may believe him and through believing in him we are saved amazing that through it all god's preparing he prepares a body for himself he becomes a sacrificial lamb so what seems to be his lowest is actually his strongest because his sacrifice then allows us to then be saved and not be subject to sin. Doesn't mean we won't sin anymore, but what it doesn't mean is that if we ask for forgiveness and we are in belief of Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven on account of his name. Powerful, powerful thing. Next thing I want to show you. It's very interesting. So if we go to the Gospel of Luke chapter 7, we read verse 20. When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? So, this friend of mine's we're reading the Gospel of Luke. We get to chapter 7. She poses a question. 
why would John send his disciples? Doesn't John know who Jesus is already? Great question. It's a great question, in my opinion, because the goal is to understand the timeline of the sequence of events. It's also to make sure that confusion, any confusion you have, is clarified. Right? So the first thing I did was highlight something that we sure all know by now. If you read Luke and you read Matthew in the beginning. Mary and Elizabeth knew each other. That was clear. How do I know that? Well, Gospel of Luke chapter 1 verse 39 to 45 proclaims that. <coughs> At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in Hill Court hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home that Zachariah is married to Elizabeth and she greets Elizabeth when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit now another interesting thing we talked about is the difference between being filled and the difference between the Holy Spirit being on people most people in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was on them, utilized them. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is different. Most of us are filled with the Holy Spirit due to what happens in the book of Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost. This is very interesting because here it says Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, which would mean the, buried, the, the, the child that she was carrying would happen to be John, who actually was filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll get to that a little bit more. But I need to explain that, right? Verse 42 says, In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you who are among, among women. Blessed are you among women. And blessed is a child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now, the question is, really speaks to the relationship between John and Jesus. Did they in fact know each other? Did they grow up with one another? And one of the things I went into in explaining why I don't believe they did know each other is because we don't really have any evidence of scripture. We know they're brothers, right? But we don't know if they actually knew each other up until this point. Now, they had missions, right? Jesus had a mission. John had a mission. John was to make way for Jesus. Jesus, of course, was to grow in favor with man and with God and to get to a certain point where he would start his ministry at the age of 31, right? So in order for the devil to ruin that, those missions, is he did something here, which is interesting. And that is, he called to kill all firstborns. So to get more specific information about that, we have to go to the Gospel of Matthew to piece these two together. So if we go to Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 to 23, it says, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. When he stayed until the death of Herod, and so was fulfilled 
what the Lord has said throughout the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and his victims who were two years old under in accordance with the time he had learned of the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet of Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramea, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her child and refusing to be confronted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to let <coughs> excuse me. Take up get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. He got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that the Acharist was renewing in Judea in places of his father's Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled what was said throughout the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Now think about two things that happened. Jesus fled to another location and was hidden among the Egyptians. He was, he was hidden there. When you put that hit, when, he, when Herod put the hit out for the firstborns to be killed, John was about six months older than Jesus. Zacharias, the father, told Elizabeth, the mother, to take him into the mountains where he was raised on locusts and wild honey. So here you have Jesus being in Egypt. Now, how long? Not sure. Doesn't say. We know once Herod dies, he then comes back, but he's afraid and he lives in Nazareth. We know John was raised on locusts and wild honey. So the question is, did they cross paths in their childhood? I don't know. Could they have crossed paths later? I'm not sure. What we do know was John was to prepare the way for Jesus. So let's take a look at that. We're going to look at both passages in Luke and in Matthew. So we'll look at Matthew first. We look at Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a, pro a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem or Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit is keeping with repentance, and do not think you can save yourself. We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. 
The axe is already at the roots of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Powerful message from John to the Pharisees and Sadducees. The arrogance that they had about who their father is. Not a hindrance to the message that John gave them. He said, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, some say untie. He will be he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So we go to Luke chapter 2, chapter 3, verse 2 through 16. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching and a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized in, You brought of vipers? Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. You do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown to fire. What shall we do? Then the crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. <coughs> Even Tasculuk has come to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, What shall we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then the soldiers asked him, What shall we do? He replied, don't exhort money and don't accuse people falsely to be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them, Or oh, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I will come and strap whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So when John sent his disciples to Jesus, I believe he honestly didn't know who Jesus was. Also keep in mind, there were a lot of people proclaiming to be sent by God. I think this was just a normal thing in history, which is why we have a lot of issues in the Old Testament, especially if you read the book of Kings, we had a prophet who claimed the Lord told him to do something even though the Lord explicitly told him not to stop in the desert, he eventually did and was deceived and the lion ate him up, right? So we have examples of false teachers coming in and making proclamations that are just not true. I believe this is why when Jesus responded to John's disciples, he told them about what he did, which is a sign of what he read in Luke 4 from the book of Isaiah. Check this out. Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 20 says, He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on a Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his, was his custom. 
he stood up to read and scrolled of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him unrolling it unrolling it he found the place where it was written the spirit of the Lord is on me so you see how it's interesting when I talked to you about earlier about the spirit beyond people here it is Jesus saying the spirit of the Lord is on me which is interesting because it's clear that when Jesus gets baptized, the Spirit of the Lord is in him. But here, he declares the Spirit of the Lord is on him. Which means, just like in the Old Testament, there were prophets used by God. And the Spirit of the Lord was on them. So there's a difference between the Spirit of the Lord being on you and the Spirit of the Lord being in you. The Spirit of the Lord is in us because when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and we get baptized, then the Spirit of the Lord resides in us. Make sense? But the Spirit of the Lord was on Jesus because he was in preparation for his ministry. So, when he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Amazing. And what's amazing about this is that this is to declare the fact that the scripture is going to be fulfilled because he's going to start doing things that resemble exactly what Isaiah said the Messiah would do. Now, when John finally meets Jesus, we get this in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29 through 34. So this answers mostly the question that my friend asked and that was did John know Jesus they're brothers but they know each other did they hang out did they cross paths he answers this question right here the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world this is he of whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me I myself did not know him. See that? I myself did not know him. But for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. It's verse 34. I myself did not know him. But he sent me to baptize with water sent to me. He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, that is he who baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. Remember what he said. I baptize with water. There's one that will baptize you. That was not going to baptize you. That's the Holy Spirit. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Verse 34. I have seen and have borne witness. This is the Son of God. Now, interesting. So, the way I answer the question is that obviously they couldn't have grown up together because Herod ruined that opportunity by seeking out to kill him. That was the devil's plan. He wanted to take out the Savior of the world. And by doing that, he tried to get rid of Jesus. It didn't work, he wasn't successful. And as part of not being successful, that allowed God's plan to continue to be on track, on time, 
and to thrive. Now, here's the other reason why I'm calling starting Scarlet Spark Fly. Because I raised some interesting questions last time. And I had a lot to do, or maybe it might have been a week before. I had a lot to do with what I was trying to understand. But actually it was last week, it wasn't the week before. The week before the, the episode was about the the mastering of the other study. Last week is about questions, questioning what's going on about the scriptures, not having no answers. That's why I put starting discoveries. Now, after some reading of Luke and a conversation with Paul, one of my friends that's been on the podcast, I realized that there are some answers here that I didn't get in Matthew that was provided by Luke. But there's still some interesting stuff here. So I'm going to share that with you. So as a refresher, if we go to Matthew chapter 9, verse 18 through 19, it says, while he was saying with them, while he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hands on her and she will live. And Jesus got up, went with him, and so did his disciples. Now verse 18 clearly says, my daughter has just died. I get this. This is something that Paul pointed out to me. If we go to the Gospel of Luke chapter 8 and we read verses 40 through 41, it says, Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a name, a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Now, we have some information here. We have the age of the girl who's 12. We have the name of the synagogue leader who's Jairus. And here it says she's dying, which means it didn't happen yet. See the difference? Dying versus dead. Huge difference. So why in Matthew does it say he died? And why in Luke does it say he's dying? Now, here's the only explanation that I have. Luke is a book filled with eye testimonies, which means what Luke is writing is to give us an insight into what people believed occurred. See, these are testimonies from people who were present and that were there and they're providing their testimony. So that could be the difference of what they believed the secret of events was. Now get this, right? In Luke, the story continues from verse 49 to 56. Well, we'll start at verse 49. When Jesus was still speaking, someone came to the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. So let's stop here. When we read this in Matthew, the outcome had already happened. She was dead. And yet, he came to Jesus knowing this. Here, it feels like he wanted to save his daughter before it got to a place where a death occurred. It makes sense because once the word got out that it happened, then he said, or was it the disciples that said, or the people that went to find Jesus that said, leave the teacher alone, meaning Jesus. Now this is amazing to me, man. The request 
already seemed impossible, and yet in Matthew, Jairus seemed sure of himself. Right? So let's let's look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 18 through 19 again. My daughter has just died, but come and put your hands on her, and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did the disciples. Here, once we find out that his daughter died, he said, leave the teacher alone. Now, I don't know if he said it, or was it the disciples or the people that would follow him that said it. But here, what Jesus says to Darius in verse 50, hearing this, Jesus said to Darius, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. What were the three things? Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. So Jesus is giving him words of encouragement. And I honestly don't know what to make of the recall of things from Matthew's story. Line up with Luke. The only thing that comes to mind is, again, Luke, these are eye testimonies from people who were there that have a different recall of the events. Matthew is not seen that way. I'm not sure how to look at that. Matthew seems like he has the confidence. He already knows. Luke, it seems as though God, Jesus in flesh, God in flesh, Jesus is encouraging him to change the mindset that he has. Because if there's anything we know, is that if we come to Jesus, we must believe that he resists and he earnestly seeks him. We're going to get back to that particular verse because that's very important. Now, Let's finish the rest of the text out. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James. Interesting enough, when we read it in Matthew, he's the only one that goes in. And they were playing flutes. They were playing music. Now, again, this is interesting. Two different ways it's told. There's that not avoid how it was told no it just shows you how people saw or what people thought or what people might have said but the event still happened just the way it was told is different again i don't know what to make of it it's just interesting how it was told from the eye testimonies and from how matthew tells it now verse 52 says meanwhile all the people were wailing and mourning for her Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. Now, that portion is confirmed and expressed the same way in Matthew. The only difference is, like I said, Jesus is the only one that went in in Matthew. Lucas says they all went in. Now, verse 53 says they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. And then the next verse is interesting. Her spirit return now check this out her spirit return that begs the question where did her soul go where did her spirit go at this point the only example that we have of heaven and hell is the story of Lazarus that Jesus is telling and about being a wall in between both worlds we don't learn anything else until Jesus dies and he conquers death and he becomes the way. Interesting stuff here. Now, what we do know is Jesus has the power, the power 
to bring people back to their bodies. That's amazing. He can bring their spirit back to their bodies. This adds value to the idea that Jesus came to save our spirits and our souls, not the body. Speaking of this, let's go to Ecclesiastics chapter 12, verse 7. I read this a while back, but I, it came back to my remembrance when I read the text. Now check out what it says. Then the dust out of which God made man's body will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Fascinating, right? So how is Jesus, if he's not God, returning the spirit back to the child? If he didn't have the ability to do that, he would have to be God, right? So I asked myself, did Jesus, who was God, not return the spirit back to the girl on the body, in her body? This is powerful because what did Jesus tell Jairus? Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. Another way to look at this is have faith in Jesus, and by having faith in Jesus, your belief will allow you to see how anything and everything is possible with Jesus or with God. Remember, Jesus made a statement. He said, with God, all things are possible. With man, no. With God, all things are possible. With man, no. Okay? Everything is possible with Jesus. This is amazing because <clears throat> the woman who had the blood issue was healed in the same way, right? <clears throat> so we go to Matthew chapter 9. Verse 20 through 21, it says, Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloth. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloth, I will be healed. What made her think that? Again, this was a question that I had. What made her think that? And what is Jesus saying to Jairus, right? What are the three things he told Jairus? Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. So, was the woman not afraid? Did she not believe? And was she not healed? Was the woman not afraid? And did she not just believe? And was she not healed? Yes. Yes, it was, right? What happened? The woman thought it. She acted upon what she thought by believing and having faith. And it healed her. This is why Jesus said, your faith has healed you, right? Amazing. How is Jesus telling Jairus one thing and a woman with the blood issue actually fulfills exactly what Jesus was telling Jairus to do? Right? The woman understood it and she got it. It's interesting how these two stories happen one after another. Or you could also say in the middle of what was going on. Right? Might have been an interruption. Maybe you don't want to view it as an interruption. But the woman with the blood issue goes on to address the very thing that Jerry's needed to hear. So, ending with verse 55 into verse 56, it says, at once, and, she's, and, and this is talking about the daughter, at once she stood up. She, then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Now, I mentioned that all the news spread, right? When I read it in Matthew. 
but it can be true. Can be all things can be true. Maybe it did spread, but it might have just spread in that county. It might have just spread in that county. But this is fascinating. The spirit returning back to the body. The very thing that Jesus told Jerry to do, a woman did. And it was interesting. It was fascinating. Because it, it almost felt like Jesus congratulated her. Because here it is, I'm telling someone to do these things. And you did it. And he knew the power seeped out. And it, it was amazing because he sought out who did it so that he can inform her that your faith has healed you or your faith has made you whole. And that's a completely different thing altogether when it comes to the King James and how it's phrasing it and how we can see it. Now, I want to finish with the last thing I want to share with you. And it's very relatable to what I just said between Jarius and with the woman with the blood issue. Check this out. The faith of the centurion, right? Again, we're in Luke 7. Look at what verse 4 says. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this. Now, this goes well with what passage? Hebrews 11, 6. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him the key word in both verses right in Luke 7 4 and 11 6 is earnest which means with sincere and intense conviction remember how I talked about the difference between a conviction and a preference a conviction is something you believe in no matter what a preference is something that changes based upon new information and over time so, if you're going to earnestly seek him, he will reward you. How do I know this? Because, guess what? In the story in Luke 7, the Soterian who sent those servants came to earnestly seek God. What did he do? He healed them. The person got healed. So, what, what, was, what was required? Earnestly seeking him. And that's what? With sincerity and intense conviction. So God will know if you aren't being truthful. God would know if your heart's not in it. God is going to know these things. And what did Jesus do throughout the Gospel of Luke, throughout the Gospel of Matthew? He knew what their hearts were and he knew what they were thinking. All the time, he knew. So he knew that if people came to him sincerely he knew it. And that's just the power and the beauty about Jesus. The power and the beauty about God. So, these are things that I'm sharing. This is Startling Discoveries Part 5. <coughs> I hope what I shared today is a blessing. My apologies that it's been put out late. But this, I think, was very intentional by God. And I don't know. Maybe he wants this one out. Not the one that I was working on. This is a raw episode. Didn't really have time to prepare and make it much more cleaner. To, it could be receivable in your ears. So I hope what I shared with you today does just that. With that being said, I'm going to pray this out. Heavenly Father, Lord, in Jesus' name, how amazing is your word? More amazing than I think. More amazing than I can imagine. Because you continue to bless me. And you continue to bless those who read it and learn new things that you have to share with us. 
as we go throughout the week. Bless all those who are watching. Bless their families, their friends, their acquaintances. Keep them all safe, Lord. We trust in you that anything that we ask according to your will, you would do. We thank you for another opportunity to fellowship with one another. We pray we hope that this podcast is a blessing to anybody that presses play and continues to see what we're trying to do here. We're not looking for any money grabs. We're not looking for any opportunities where we can profit or benefit of it. We just love the word of God and we love what it can provide us and how it can inspire us, motivate us to draw near to you. That is what our desire here is on the Truth of the Matters podcast. And we pray and we hope that those who continue to press play, if they're interested, to share it, to tell a friend, to inform them that we are trying to do what God has called us to do. And that is to show them how your word of God can be practically applied to everyday life and for us to see how your word is the only truth. The truth of the matter is, is your word is the only truth that we should abide, we should submit, and we should believe. And with that being said, all those who are in agreement say, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen.